0: Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter one. We'll be reading and studying today, verses one through nine. Joshua chapter one, verses one through nine. Kevin will be returning to Revelation in a couple of weeks. While he's gone, we have a few uh, sermons from various passages over the next couple of Sundays. Looking again today at Joshua 1, verses 1 to 9. Let's pray before we read God's word together and ask for his help as we study. Our Father in heaven, we do praise you for your living, your active, your powerful, sufficient, inerrant, infallible word. Praise you, God, that your word is life. We are reminded again this morning that. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. And so we pray that you'll bring us face to face with Christ this morning. Again, of our need of your grace, we pray that you will strengthen and encourage us. That is our prayer this morning, that this word will help us as we live from day to day. To have confidence in you, our God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Back before um, I had my heart accident, so back in my running days, uh, I participated in a race that was called the Bridge Run. Now, I have to tell you, I I wasn't really racing. Like, you know, I'm not going to win anything. So I was just running. But anyways, part of this race is in downtown Grand Rapids, and called the Bridge Run because the race course uh, took us over seven different bridges that cross the Grand River. So we started in downtown Grand Rapids, ran out of downtown, ran out a little bit into the suburbs, ran back, but as we were running out and back, we kept crisscrossing the river. So... Back and forth, one side of the river to the other, seven times, seven bridges. Thinking about bridges, there's a lot of famous bridges in the world. Uh, If you go to San Francisco, you want to lay eyes, of course, on the Golden Gate Bridge. If you're in New York, it might be the Brooklyn Bridge. If you're in London, it's the London Bridge. And Of course, even as boys and girls, we learn the song that goes along with that bridge. If you're from Michigan, right, it's the Mackinac Bridge. Five miles long, 550 feet high, the fifth largest suspension bridge in the world, Uh, connects the lower peninsula to the upper peninsula. This past week when Sherry and I were coming back from Michigan, driving through Ohio and coming up to West Virginia, we crossed the Ohio River on a major bridge at Ravenswood, West Virginia. Some of you have no doubt crossed that bridge before. Bridges, of course, create a shortcut. So bridges are wonderfully helpful because if, if a bridge wasn't in the place where it was, you know, you'd, you'd have to go drive downriver to a place, find a place where you can cross. But you have a bridge, you, you can go through the shortcut. Bridges fill a gap. With bridges, there is a before and then an after. So you're over here, you cross the bridge, and then you're here. This and then that. A crossing here and then there. You leave something behind, you cross the bridge, and you go on to something new. Thinking about that, we just crossed a bridge, didn't we? Just a few days ago, we're now into 2024. Six days ago, we moved from one year to the next. I know that we're already a few days into the new year. Maybe the New Year's Day seems like, you know, a real distant memory to us. But here we are, the very first time together in 2024. And as we've crossed into something new, there's a lot that we don't know. Like, what does this year hold for us? Well, as we turn to Joshua this morning, Joshua is a bridge book. That's what Francis Schaefer called it. It's something like the book of Acts. The book of Acts, a bridge between the Gospels and the epistles, between the life of Christ and the history of the early church. The book of Joshua Is like that. It is a bridge from the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, into the historical books. And even more, it is a bridge between the wilderness for Israel and the promised land for Israel. Here at the very beginning of Joshua, God's people are about ready to cross a bridge, as it were, into a new land, and that was a dawning experience for them. And what we find here in these first verses of Joshua is this God says to Joshua, God says to Israel, as you face this new thing, here's how I want you to face it. I want you to face it with strength, and I want you to face it with courage. Be strong, be courageous. Trust in me, trust in my promises, trust in my presence with you, trust in my word. Those things right there, that's what we find in these early verses. So let's read them together. Joshua 1, 1 to 9. Here's God's word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, people of God, the book of Joshua opens with a series of transitions. We see these at the very first part of our text this morning. It was, first of all, the transition from Moses to Joshua, a leadership transition, one Leader was passing away, another leader was taking his place, was on the scene. And you see this in the very first verse. Joshua opens After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Deuteronomy ended that way. It ends with Moses' death. Joshua begins with Moses' death. And people of God, this was a huge transition for God's people. Think about it. For 40 years, Moses had been leading the people of God. He had led them out of Egypt. He had led them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, now to the doorstep of the promised land. Deuteronomy 34 reminds us of the kind of leader that Moses had been. Where the Lord says about Moses, there was not another prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses, in other words, was a one of a kind leader. And now he was gone. And it was time for Joshua to lead. Joshua knew this was coming had been told about it, the Lord had already spoken to him through Moses, Joshua, you are the one who is going to lead my people. To Moses, the Lord had said this, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. He shall go out before them, come in before them. He shall lead them out, bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep without a shepherd." Joshua, as we know, was a wonderful military commander. Joshua was a brave spy, as he and Caleb and the others went to spy out the land. But he's also a shepherd. God's people needed a shepherd. One shepherd is gone. They needed another shepherd to take his place. And Joshua had been told, you are going to be the one. I wonder if we could imagine this morning what it must have been like for Joshua. You have to follow Moses. It's often hard, isn't it, to follow a great leader. In fact, when there's been a a very prominent leader on the scene, it's often the case that the next leader doesn't do so well, often fails, because he's got these incredible shoes to fill. So that next leader often fails. It's, it's often the leader that follows him that is able to lead well. I wonder if Joshua thought to himself, how am I going to take Moses' place? How is this going to go? Will I be able to lead God's people like Moses did or imagine with me being Israel, and you're wondering, what kind of leader is Joshua going to be? Leadership transitions are not only hard on leaders, but they're hard on the people who have to follow the leader. So in your own life, you know, you might get a new boss, you may get a new coach, you may get a new teacher, and, and you're wondering all the, all the while, you know, how is this going to go? What, what are they going to be like? And I wonder if Israel was thinking that at all as Moses began to lead them. So you have this transition from Moses to Joshua. We also have a transition from the wilderness to the promised land. So not only at the very beginning are we told that Moses died and Joshua is to lead, but the very first command that comes to Joshua, verse 2, God says to him, Arise, therefore, go over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land that I am giving you. Joshua, you can't stay here with God's people. You need to go there. You need to enter the land. For 40 years, the wilderness had been their home. And now God's people are about to cross over. You recall what the spies said about the land? The spies come back after scouting out the land, and only Joshua and Caleb say, you know, we can take this land. The rest of the spies say, there are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers. And I wonder if God's people stood at the edge of the Jordan, ready to cross it, ready to go into the land that they could see on the other side. I wonder if if they're thinking to themselves, what about those giants? They're going to gobble us up. Are we going to be destroyed? Jericho is just across this river, just across the Jordan, a city with imposing walls. Rahab, as as the Israelites come into Jericho, Rahab says, we've heard about you people before, and we've heard about the greatness of your God. The reputation of Israel had gone before them. And I wonder if the Israelites had heard anything about Jericho before they got there these massive walls that stood high how are we ever going to be able to defeat a city like that and then there was the Jordan River a wall this deep valley you remember the Bible tells us in just a few chapters that as the Israelites reached the Jordan it was at flood stage when they crossed It's not a little trickling stream. It was a full river. And it wasn't until they stepped into the waters that the waters divided. Not until they went forward in faith did they know they could cross. All of these things were facing the people of God in this transition from Moab in the wilderness to the promised land. So many things that could have kept them for moving forward. So many things that could have had them living in fear. People go, I'm thinking about this new year and maybe looking into a new year, new year for us might be something like what it was for Israel to think about their next steps, moving into this land that the Lord had given them. For some of us, it's not really the new year that's frightening. For some of us here this morning, it's tomorrow. It's not looking into April or May or August or November or saying, you know, what, what's going what's to happen this new year? It, it's tomorrow that is a scary thing. It's been a hard week on the Christ Covenant family. We had a funeral here on Friday. Others in our midst have lost loved ones recently. We've had members who have been hospitalized, who've been at death's doorstep. Gratefully, the Lord has drawn them back. We have members in our church who've recently been diagnosed with frightening illnesses, When these things start happening, you start wondering, don't you, about tomorrow. You start thinking about the future. What what does it hold for me? Sherry just got done talking to a dear friend of ours who last September lost her husband. And they were talking about celebrating New Year's. And she was talking about how difficult that was to think of moving from one year into the next year without your spouse for the very first time. And in a sense saying, I don't really want to go into New Year without my husband. Those are the kinds of things that we we endure, don't we? That we face. And for all that Israel was going through, for all that we may go through This is why there is such a strong call to courage here. Three times it's repeated. Verse 6, Israel, be strong, be courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Yes, they're repetitions, but they're not exactly repetitions they're they're not just saying the same thing these calls to courage build on one another they get fuller they get stronger they're to bolster us up as they were to bolster Israel the lord's simple message courageously move ahead go forward don't stop do not be afraid the very same message that moses gave to joshua He he had said this to Joshua earlier. Now here it's the Lord speaking. Be strong, very courageous. Let me give you three things, three sources or inspirations of courage that the Lord gave to his people here. It's our last point. First of all, God reminds him of his promises. So verse 3, Go over this Jordan you and all this people into the land that I am giving them. Or verse 6, be strong and courageous because you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. So God says to Joshua, he says to Israel, he says to us this morning, where do you get the strength? To be strong, to to be courageous, to move forward. Where do you find that? And God says, It is in my promises. It wasn't Israel's military strength, it was not their wisdom. It was the promises of God, and particularly for them, the promise of this land. This land will be yours. Remember in your Bibles that this was the promise that had been made to Abraham some centuries earlier. It was a promise that was renewed to Isaac, a promise that was again given to Jacob. And now the promise is made one more time to Moses. God has said to him Every place, Moses, on which the sole of your foot treads, it shall be yours. It's Deuteronomy 11:23 And now it comes to Joshua. Every place, Joshua, this is verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you just as I promised Moses. What a great land. The Lord says is yours. From the wilderness to the south, to Lebanon in the north, the river Euphrates in Babylon to the east, to the great sea, the Mediterranean in the west. Much of this not even fulfilled until the days of David and Solomon, but it is going to be yours. It is going to belong to my people. What a promise. You know, it's the promises of God that really are key to the book of Joshua. God's promises, one after another. The conquest, simply a uh, a fulfillment of the promises of God. Even at the end of his life, Joshua goes back to the promises. Chapter 23, I am about to go the way of all the earth, Joshua says, but you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord has promised concerning you. Look back on my life. Israel, it's all about God's promises. Why did God repeat the same promises over and over again? To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Joshua, to Israel. Don't you think the Lord does this because he understands that we so often forget his promises. We don't remember them. In our time of need, they're, sometimes they're just gone and, and the Lord is so gracious to us to say, let me remind you of them again. Say them over and over and over again so they get lodged in your mind and locked in your heart. God wants us to be strengthened with those and when you need courage for a new calling to follow a challenging command from the Lord to stand against the crowd to resist urges to give up to be faithful in your marriage to trust God's provision to surrender your tomorrows where do you go? God says, come back to my promises again. Promises on the front end, before you have to step out, promises you can look back on and see that God has been faithful to you. Promises, of course, are trustworthy only as long as the one who is making them is trustworthy. And Israel is reminded here that it is the Lord who has made his promises. The Lord, Yahweh, his covenant name, the God of steadfast love and mercy, the God who is always faithful to his people. God's promises are reliable, friends, because God is reliable. You can trust him, and so you can trust his promises. What promises of God do you need today? What is it that you're going through and What promise do you need to claim, to cling to, to hold on to, to shore you up? Listen this morning just to a few, just a couple of promises. Philippians 4, 19. My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Psalm 31, 14, 15 But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God, and my times, they are in your hands. Psalm 103, verse 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Psalm 3410. The lions may grow weak and hungry, But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Promises to live by. Not only have God's promises, we have his presence. It's the other thing the Lord said to Israel. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you, verse 5. Or verse 9, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a great personal word from the Lord. I will be with you. God says, I myself will be with you. I'll stand beside you. His personal presence, not a phantom, not an avatar, the Lord himself. I am there with you. And a pervasive word from the Lord, because I'll be with you wherever you go. The ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the pleasant, the painful, in life, in death, in the wilderness, in all the way to the promised land and beyond. I'll be with you wherever you go. Whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself, there, there's not an exclusion here. Nothing gets take out and say, well, that doesn't count. No, I'll be with you wherever you go. Friends, that's really one of the great promises of the Bible that you see all throughout the scriptures. I've heard somebody call it this. It's four words that change everything. I am with you. Do you remember that the promise was made to Jacob? He's running away from his brother. He's ready to return to the promised land. And he has this dream of a ladder, and angels are going up and down on that ladder. And to Jacob, the Lord says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land. I'm with you. Same promise is made to Joseph. Joseph is sold by his brothers into Egypt, thrown into jail unjustly for two years, lingering in prison. Don't you wonder if many, many times over those days he must have thought to himself, God, have you forgotten me? Where are you? I'm here in this prison. Where are you, O oh God? And then eventually rises to power and helps deliver Israel. And the Bible tells us the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. He wasn't alone. The Lord was with him. Or who can forget the promise in Psalm 23? Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you what are with me. You see that over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible? I am with you. That's what the Lord is saying to you today. Wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever you are, I want you to remember, I am with you and I will not leave you or forsake you. When you are afraid, when you feel alone, when you are threatened, keep in mind, God says, I'm here. Friends, how do we know that's all true? How do we know that that promise, that God is with us, is really true? Well, we have to remember the greatest witness to all of God's presence the Lord Jesus himself. Just before his birth, Joseph and Mary, here's one of the names that he will have, Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, the pledge of his presence is established for us in Christ. He will never leave us or abandon us because he has come in his son to save us. How could he let us go? How could he abandon us? He will be with us. And so the encouragement to Joshua, to Israel, to us, God's promises, God's presence, and then finally, his word. And this is where the text ends this morning. As the Lord speaks to Joshua, He says, Be strong and courageous, verse 7, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. The word, God's law, Joshua, this is what you are to live by. This is what is to guide you. This is what you are to hold on to. You must keep the word front and center. And friends, you see, it's the word of God that, too, gives us courage. It's what gives us strength to move forward, even into those things that are unknown. The Lord told Joshua here what he was to do with the word, How it was to be a foundation for him, and how it's to be a foundation for us. We have to first of all know the word. And so the Lord says to Joshua, Don't let it depart from you. You know, don't don't let your life be here and the word here. Where you're drifting from the word, distant from the word. But stay close to the word, cherish the word, read the word. Use God's word. Don't let it depart from you. Even more specifically, we must talk about the word. That's what Joshua was to do. He's not to let the word of God depart from his mouth. What happens when we testify to the word of God, when we share the word of God, when we read the word of God to other people? We're doing it in our families, maybe. You're doing it with your spouse. You're doing it in a Sunday school classroom. When we speak God's word, when we talk about his word, we internalize his word. We, we own it more. We, we get to know it better. And so it was not to depart from the mouth of Joshua. You're need, you need to keep telling Israel the word. So know it. Talk about it. We're to meditate on it. Pastor Kevin gave us a wonderful sermon last week about how to do that with the Word of God. But contemplate its truth. Ask questions of the Word of God. What what is this text saying about my life, my living, what I'm to do? What conclusions do I draw from God's Word? I've been helped over the years by just one little piece of advice from John Piper when he says, Read the word of God with a pen in your hand. I just have a pen or a pencil and underline a word here or there. Mark something, but as he says, pens have eyes. In other words, your eyes tend to get opened in a way to God's word when you're ready just to jot a note or make a little mark or something. All of part of meditating Upon God's word and finally we have to obey it Joshua was told be careful to do all that is written in it of course this is the most important thing isn't it not just to reflect upon it and to read it but we're called to do it we have to respond we need to obey James reminds us we're not simply to be hearers but doers of the word Well, friends, how does God's word help us to be courageous? Because it reminds us of a God who is sovereign, a God who is in control, a God who has all all of our days ordained for us before one came to be. You know what? We may not know what 2024 holds, the Lord does. You may not know what tomorrow will bring, the Lord does. He is our sovereign God, and God's word reminds us of that. And it also reminds us that he loves us, that we are his children and he is our father. And the one who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. He will not let us go. He begins what he finishes. He is the God who will hold us fast. Friends, you probably know that, of course, the Old Testament named Joshua, the equivalent of that in the New Testament, is the name Jesus. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ that all that God says here is true for us. He calls us to be strong and courageous by leaning on his word, his promises, and his presence. Jesus is the faithful one who has redeemed us. Jesus is the one who has run our race before us. You know what? Right into the promised land, right? The Bible reminds us we have an anchor there for our soul, an anchor, held tight in heaven for us. Guarantee that we're going to make it. Our days, our years may change, but Jesus is the one who was the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so be strong and be courageous. As God's people, let's go forth trusting him Whatever tomorrow holds, whatever this year holds, let's pray together. So, Father in heaven, we do pray that you would guide us. Guide us, O thou great Jehovah, as we are pilgrims through this barren land. We are weak, but you are mighty. And so hold us with your powerful hand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.